Good morning. As uh, Pete mentioned, my name's Don Weber. I'm a member of the volunteer preaching team here at River Heights. And today we are continuing our series on the miracles of Jesus. Over the past five weeks, we've heard about how Jesus turned water into wine so that a, a wedding celebration could continue. And how he touched the eyes of a man who couldn't see and healed him completely. We learned about how with a simple word of command, he calmed a very violent storm at sea and comforted and protected his companions. We read in the Gospels how not once but twice Jesus blessed his fishermen friends by miraculously filling their nets with fish. And last week, we heard about the miracle of Jesus rising from the dead and how he visited his followers to comfort them, encourage them, and give them hope. Now, when I was asked to speak on the miracles of Jesus, I knew right away I was going to talk about a story where Jesus heals a very troubled young man in the Gospel of Mark. It's, it's my favorite miracle in all of the Gospels, and I had it all planned out because I preached it before at another church, and I had a real good idea of what I was going to say. I mean, it was a piece of cake. This is going to be easy. And then I made my first mistake. I read it. And God messed the whole thing up. He, he just shredded my plan and took me in a completely different direction. Now, I'm not saying I saw something in the Bible that nobody ever saw before. I'm very careful not to do that. But that what I read, when I read it, a story that I'd read dozens of times, I saw something in there, something small, simple, yet really big at the same time. And I felt certain that it was from God because it spoke to me about something that's been stirring in me since I got back from Ukraine about a month and a half ago. For those of you who may not know, I took a trip to Ukraine in late May, early June, and with the support of many of the people in this church, my family and my friends, raised money to bring food and aid to the east side of the country where the fighting is taking place. And the people I met there, the things I saw, a country at war, it is very, very difficult to describe. Pictures on the internet simply do not do it justice. They don't come close to communicating the horror of it all. It has changed me probably in ways that I don't even know yet. And there's something I have been told to tell you here this morning by the people of Ukraine. I traveled probably give or take 2,000 miles, met hundreds of people probably, and everywhere I went, from the people I worked with to the, the people who I bought coffee from and asked me where I was from, I was told, when you get back to the United States, you make sure you tell them this. Duja dakuyu vidnarodu ukraini. Thank you very much from the people of Ukraine. Tell the people who sent you here that we could not make it without them and how incredibly grateful we are. Their gratitude was genuine and it was overwhelming for me. What was equally overwhelming, maybe even more so, was the suffering, the destruction, and the death I saw. It was horrific and it was everywhere. Everywhere we went. But something happened right in the middle of it, something that surprised me, something that the Bible describes in a verse that says, 
where sin, where evil was abundant, there God's grace was even more abundant. I saw that to be true there. I saw in the men and women of Ukraine that I met and worked with, normal people just like you and me, stepping up and answering the call of God to serve the people around them, many of them who were complete strangers. I saw them selling their houses and their cars, giving up their plans and their dreams, walking away from from wonderful jobs to go out and serve the people of Ukraine, to follow Jesus wherever he led, laying down their dreams, their hopes, and their futures to follow him and do what he called them to do, to share his love and his compassion and the good news of the gospel everywhere they went. And working side by side with them, I saw in their lives the same thing that I saw in this Bible story that we're about to read. I saw what can really happen when people commit themselves in love, dedication, to pursue a relationship with God, a deep, personal, loving, and living relationship. I saw it in Ukraine in a way I don't think I've seen here, and I want it. I want that. It was something new to me. They know God. I saw people there that know God just like we know any one of us. We know each other, deeply personal, intimately, like friends, like family. I know it's possible. I know it's possible for all of us because I've seen it. If that's something you want, or maybe it's something you don't want but you want to want, or it's stirring something in you you're curious about. And let's take a look together for a moment at this miracle of Jesus and see what it tells us about a relationship like that. And before we do, I'd like to pray. Father, I pray today that you will stir in all of us a desire to know you more, more deeply, more intimately than we ever have before. I pray that you'll send your spirit and move among us today and draw us closer as we draw closer to you. Amen. So to set the stage of our story, Jesus had just taken three of his followers, his disciples, up to the top of a mountain, and they had experienced, uh, they, they had an experience with God that changed them dramatically. It was something very stirring, very amazing. And they were coming back down off of that mountain, back down to the other nine disciples. And this is what they found, reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Yikes, right? (laughs) 
How would you like Jesus to say that to you? That's tough. That sounds harsh. But to be clear, he's not talking to everybody in the crowd. He's talking to his disciples because they have turned away from the suffering of this boy and this man and have begun fighting over something so insignificant that we're never even told what it is. And we know it doesn't matter to Jesus because the moment he hears about the suffering of this boy, he forgets all about the question about the argument. That boy and that man become his sole focus. They are all he's concerned about. And the religious people in the crowd, the ones who are supposed to care, have forgotten them. They're ignoring them. They've completely turned their backs on them. And that wasn't uncommon back then. And it's not uncommon today, is it? Less and less people in the United States today identify as Christians, go to church, or even believe there is a God. And many churches, many Christians, blame them for it and judge them because of it, because they don't come to church, because they don't believe in God. But if you ask those people why, most of them will tell you it's because of the way people who claim to be followers of Jesus treat them and treat those outside of the church. If that describes you today, I want to tell you sincerely, I am sorry. And as a church, we're very sorry that you were treated like that. We want to do better. We are trying to do better. That should never have happened to you. And as you can see in the story, Jesus is none too happy about it either. You know, I, I debated whether to say this, but to put it in modern terms, it really pissed him off. It did. He's extremely angry. It's why he says what he says. Because the religious people, the ones that were supposed to care, had totally turned their back on this man and his boy in their time of need. That makes Jesus incredibly unhappy and very angry. But it's his next words that make all the difference for this son and his father. And I'll show you soon how they've made all the difference for many of us in this church today and can make a difference for you too. After Jesus firmly yet lovingly corrects his followers, he says this, bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. This is what I missed the many, many times that I've read this story. This is the simple, small, but big idea here. It's the turning point. It's where everything changes for this father and for this son. And let's read on and I'll show you what I mean. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if you can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. This father's honest. He has been watching his little boy suffer horrifically for years. He's got no time to mess around. So he tells Jesus the truth. And I imagine in his mind, he's thinking, 
when Jesus says to him, anything is possible for someone who believes, he's thinking, do you have any idea how many people I've gone to who said they could heal my boy? Do you have any idea how many times I've been disappointed by people I've put my faith in, people I've trusted? I want to believe you, Jesus. I've heard good things about you, but it's hard. It's very, very hard. Do you find your faith like that? I know I do. I do believe, and I don't. I trust you, Jesus, completely. And to be honest, I sometimes doubt you completely. But what's wonderful about this story is Jesus doesn't say to this father, and he doesn't say to us when we have that kind of faith, what, are you kidding me? That's not going to cut it. That's not faith. I can't work with that. You go to the end of the line until you can conjure up some real faith. Go, come back and we'll think about taking care of you and your problem. I'll think about healing your boy. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. And I think what Jesus really hears from that father is, help me. Help us. That's what matters to him because this is what he does. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. I'm going to take a break for a minute. I got to say this. This is a warning the way that I think Jesus would have said this. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. It isn't hard to see why bringing the boy to Jesus was the turning point in he and his father's life in their story. Up until they meet him, this boy has suffered terribly, afflicted by this evil spirit. Now, this translation of the Bible uses the word possessed, but its meaning back then was very different than what we think of when we hear that word. Ours has been affected by Hollywood and its definition of this idea, but that's not the way they would have understood it back then. Its meaning then came more from an understanding that there are evil forces in this world that hate God, that hate us. And the Bible tells us one only to kill, steal, and destroy God's good creation, mostly us. Their understanding was not that an evil spirit could get inside a person, completely take control of them, and make them completely powerless. But that there were sometimes, sometimes those forces were able to severely oppress somebody, like here in our story. But they are no match for the love and the power of God. Not even close. Why is coming to Jesus, meeting Jesus, the turning point? Because this is where this young man, in the person of Jesus, meets God in a real and personal way, right where he needs him. It's where he meets the loving, kind, and generous, 
almighty creator of the universe, the protector and the provider. And it changes everything for him. He was horribly broken, and now he's completely healed. He was oppressed and enslaved. Now he's free. He had no hope and no future. Now he can live. He can dream. He can thrive. He can be everything God made him to be, healthy and whole, filled with peace and purpose, living in joy instead of constant fear and sorrow. Meeting Jesus made all that possible. It's possible for you too. It's possible for all of us. What happened to that young man and to his father can happen to you today. It can happen to all of us. And the reason why, why that can happen, it's right up there. Way up there. It's the cross. It's because of the cross Here at the Vineyard, we believe that God is three unique and at the same time three unified persons, the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three people, but one God. It's mysterious and not not easy to fully explain or understand. And at the beginning of time, God created everything, the sun, the planets, the stars, the earth, and everything on it. He created us, and he gave us the earth to care for it and to care for each other. And we find in the book of Acts chapter 17 just why he did this. It says, And God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And here's the kicker. God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Now, these words were written to people. Show of hands, how many of you are people? A couple over here, not so sure. I think you're people for what it's worth. It's written for people. These words, they are written for you. They are written about you. God is not far from you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. It doesn't matter whether you've been a wonderful person or an awful person. It doesn't matter if you've come to Jesus a thousand times and rejected him a thousand and one. He wants to be close to you. He wants to be near you. Like it was at the beginning. Until God's enemy, the devil, tricked our ancestors, Adam and Eve, into believing that God couldn't be trusted, that he was lying to them and holding out on them. And so they turned and walked away from him and handed his creation over to his enemy, to our enemy, and to the evil forces I talked about earlier. It's why they could oppress the boy the way they did. And it's why we see the awful things happening today in Ukraine, in Myanmar, and in dozens of other places around the world. And it's why there's so much division, anger, and hatred here in our own country. It's easy to blame Adam Adam and Eve, right? Boy, if they just hadn't done that, everything would be fine. But haven't we all fallen for the same lie they fell for? God doesn't care about you. God's not good. 
He's holding out on you. And haven't we all made the same choice they made so many years ago? I don't need you. I don't want you. I can do it on my own. I know I have over and over throughout my life. I've let my pride and selfishness lead me to do things I knew were wrong. Some terribly cruel things that hurt people. Hurt people I loved and hurt me. And for most of my life, I didn't care. But inside, I was lost. Filled with guilt for the things I was doing, but feeling powerless to stop it. Gripped by the insecurities and the fears that drove me to be a person I didn't want to be. I'm sure many of you can relate to my story, but thanks to Jesus, that's not my story anymore. But maybe it is still yours. Maybe that's still your story today. That's where the cross comes in. The cross is the great cosmic do-over. It's where Jesus gives us all another chance and another and another and another to live the life we've dreamed of just like the life he gave the boy in our story. Shortly after healing this boy, Jesus would say this about himself. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Pop quiz. When does someone need a ransom? When they're kidnapped, right? When somebody else has got them, got a hold of them, and they cannot set themselves free. Together, we'd given creation, including ourselves, over to God's enemy. But Jesus, by shedding his blood and giving his life on the cross, ransomed us. He bought us back, and he set us free. Free to seek him, to reach out for him, and to find him. Free to have the relationship God intended for all of us to have right from the beginning. The same relationship Adam and Eve had with him as they walked with him, talked with him, laughed with him, lived and loved with him. It's what God wants for all of us. It's his free gift to you. And all you have to do to get it is believe it. The Gospel of John tells us this. To all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Like the father in our story, whose faith was bumpy, unsteady, and uncertain. But coming to Jesus, even with that kind of faith, was enough. It was enough. Jesus took that, and he changed his life forever. And I'm sure his son, the boy in our story, believed too, and he was never the same. He was free. And he probably talked about it for the rest of his life, told everybody who would listen about what Jesus had done for him. If right now something is stirring in your heart as you hear about this relationship, and you want a relationship with God like that one, in a few minutes there will be people up front who will be happy to pray for you, and to talk with you about that, to help you make that step towards that relationship with Jesus. Come up for prayer and see what God does. And if you already have a relationship with Jesus, 
but something inside you is telling you, I want what he's talking about. I want more. I want that kind of depth, that intimate, that personal relationship with him. God wants that for you too. The words we've read today make it clear. It's our prayer and it's his too. He wants all of us to know him more deeply, more intimately, as much as we can know anybody and as personally as we can know anybody. If you've been walking with Jesus for many, many years, maybe this kind of just drones on for you. You've heard it before, but I'm telling you it's real. He's real. And every promise he makes in his word to do this in you, you can count on it. You can take it to the bank. I encourage you, come forward today for prayer and see what God does in your life. See how he answers this prayer. I know that he will. When Jesus said, bring the boy to me, it was an invitation to meet God and to be touched and changed by him. That same invitation is being offered to all of us. And all we have to do is to do what they did. Come to him. Come to him. I'm going to invite the worship team back up now as we close this part of our service. And I'd like, you, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as you're able. If you're on the prayer team, would you begin to make your way down to the front? We typically end our messages each Sunday with three practical tips to help us each put the message into practice in our lives. The order is usually something to read, something to pray, something to do. I'm a bit of a rebel. I'm going to mix that up a bit. Tip number one, read the Bible passages listed in your program today. There's an insert and your program looks like this. If you didn't get it on the way in, you can get it on the way out. It has 10 scriptures listed in it. Each one of them describes the characteristics of God. You can read one, two, or all 10 this week. Or you can pick a favorite story, psalm, or passage from, of your own from the Bible. These just are 10 of my favorites. Tip number two, ask yourself, what does this tell me about God? This is a simple but powerful way to get to know God, to spend some time thinking about what he's like, learning about him. And in the process, you might decide, I want to know him. This is somebody I really want to have a relationship with. And tip number three, pray, I want to know you, God. The Bible tells us that when we pray God's will, he answers those prayers. It's a guarantee. And we know it's his will, right, that we know him. You ask this, you pray this, you'll get this. You will get this. In fact, I'm going to take a moment right now and lead us in a prayer just like that. Father, your word is really clear that you want to know us. I pray that you'll stir in us a desire to know you too. And I pray as that desire is stirred, you will pour your spirit upon us and we will get to know you more deeply, more intimately than we ever have before. Come and move here today. Come and move among us, Lord. 
We crave your presence. We crave your relationship. We crave you. Amen. We're going to continue our service now with worship, and we'll take communion together shortly. People up front are here to pray for any need you might have. I really encourage you, come forward. Come forward. I think God's going to move today. I'll be right outside the double doors as you leave. Feel free to stop by and say hello. God bless you. Have a great week.